We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. So, Philippines, I'm super excited. I actually have to try to slow myself down. I'm so excited about this new series, uh, Walking in the Ways of Jesus. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be an eight-week series. And, and this morning, I'd like to introduce the series by not looking at Philippians, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, I wanna look at the actual start of the work into Philippi, which the beautiful thing about this story is that we get a a glimpse into how the church was actually planted by looking at the book of Acts. We see Paul's second missionary journey in the book of Acts, and we see him entering into Philippi, uh, ministering, seeing people saved, planting this church, and now this letter being written 10 years afterwards, uh, roughly 10 years afterwards, back to this church, and we're going to have a series going through this incredible, incredible book. What I'd like to do this morning is look at the accounts of how the church was planted and look at some of the characters surrounding the planting of the church and see how we can learn from them and how they can encourage us in our walk with God in this beautiful and amazing city, which the more I read about Philippi is not too different to Chicago. But before I get into it, I'm so excited, I've got to calm down. Oh, this is good. As I, was, I don't know if this happens to you when you read God's Word, but sometimes you're reading and it's like you're like walking ankle deep and it's like, wow, this is cool. I, I can understand this. And then you read a little further this, and it's like you're going deeper and you're like in, into your, to your knees. And then you take a little deep, dig a little further into the text and, and you realize that it's just so beyond you and it's so amazing. And it's like you're swimming in this massive ocean. When I read Philippians and I read Acts about this story, it's like that for me. And I'm, I'm hoping that some of the excitement that I have and some of the, the revelation God's given me in this book would, would somehow come to you guys. And Lord, I pray for that right now. I pray right now that your gospel would be preached through the mixing up of my words and my excitement. Lord God, I just pray that your gospel would be declared this morning and signs and wonders would follow it and that we would have a great love and honor for your word this morning. So this morning, I'm going to talk a lot about the gospel. Some of you will think when I say the word gospel, you think a style of music. Uh, some of you in this room will think, as I give this definition of the gospel, you'll be like, the gospel is way more than that. Some of you will say, no, that's way too complicated. It's way simpler than that. So for the sake of an understanding of the gospel this morning, knowing that it is an incredibly large topic and an incredibly large understanding needed to understand the gospel, let me give a simple definition And I thank you in advance for your grace as I give this definition uh, that it will work for you this morning. So the gospel is the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphing over the enemy, so there is now nothing separating us from God. It is the good news that leads us into God's presence where we encounter life to the full now and for all eternity. It's the message of God accompanied by the power and presence of God. So when I say the gospel this morning, that's what I'm talking about. And before we look at the actual starting of this church, here's three quick things that I absolutely love about the book of Philippians. One, it is all about Jesus. It is all about who Jesus is and the message of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It is all about the gospel. And it reads a lot... uh, quite like our, our, our belief statement at Anthem Church. We believe here that the power and presence of Jesus deeply transforms lives by gifting us with intimacy with the Father and by freeing us from everything holds us down and holds us back. 
And as I read Philippians, I read, I read this letter and I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by the gospel content. It's all about Jesus and all about what Jesus has done. And as a result, all about how we can live in the power of the gospel. The good news of Jesus, the message of God accompanied by the power and presence of God. The second thing I love about this book is the theme of joy. I'm not that emotional. I, I battle to show emotions, I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I marvel at some people and how well they're able to display their emotions. But when I see joy, just something inside comes alive because I know what joy is. I may, maybe my face doesn't always look happy, I'm working on that. But I know what joy is deep down inside. And, and this is the thing about this, five times the, 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 the word joy is mentioned, 11 times the word rejoice is mentioned, but while Paul is writing this, he is in chains, he is in prison. I love that. Not that he's in prison, but I love that the fact that he is imprisoned, he's being persecuted for his faith, he is suffering because of the gospel, and he is filled with joy. And friends, this is why I love this letter, because in Jesus we find joy in the midst of trial, rejoicing in the midst of pain, love and peace in the midst of of darkness. In actual fact, as we look at this, this story in a bit more detail, we're going to see that actually there was prison, there was persecution, all in the church plant, all in the starting and birthing of this beautiful church at Philippi. And all the way through, we hear about the joy of Jesus, and we see this joy experienced through Paul and his ministry. In actual fact, Philippians is sometimes known as Paul's hymn of joy. It's beautiful. The third reason why I love this book of Philippians and also the, the planting of the church in Philippi is because this is the first known church in Europe. As we read the story, we, we just maybe read Macedonia, read Philippi, and it's like, oh, those are cool places. But actually, this was the first missionary trip that landed in Europe. This is the first time the gospel is preached on European shores. And, and I'm reminded of Jesus' prophecy just before he, he ascended. He said this in Acts 1 verse 8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Up to now, the gospel had only been preached and people had only encountered God's presence uh, as a result of the preaching of the gospel in Jerusalem, where it started, Judea, the surrounding area, Samaria, a little further out. And now Paul begins to take a step out into the outer ends of the earth. And you might think from where he is to where it is, it's like not really that far, but in terms of the gospel moving out, it started in a place and it's continually moved out and it's continually moved out and nothing has been able to stop it. I read this and I'm like, wow, what a pioneering start to, to preaching the gospel in a new place. And we just look at the millions and millions of lives that have been changed from the gospel being preached in Europe. And you will receive power. And that's the same promise over you and I, to be God's witnesses. How's that going for you at the moment when it comes to being God's witness? A witness testifies to what they have seen and what they have heard. So as believers, uh, the moment we put our faith in Christ, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to witness, to bear witness about what we have seen and heard God do in our, in our lives and through our lives. How's your testimony going? How's your witnessing going? As I was reading this, I was like, God, I just need to share your gospel more. God, just give me opportunities to preach your word. Give me opportunities to share your love wherever I go. It's amazing. I'm reminded of Paul writing in Romans 
I'm still so excited, I can't slow down. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And I love the power, the, the passion translation says it. I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I'm thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved. The power of Christ unleashed in our lives. And as I read Philippians, I see what that looks like. And I'm like, God, I want that. I wonder if you can please turn to the book of Acts in your Bible. The scriptures will come up behind me. And we're going to spend the morning in the book of Acts. But because it's an introduction to the book of Philippians, I feel I do need to read at least one part of Philippians. And uh, this is going to be our anchor text that everything is going to be filtered through and seen through. And that's Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And I want to read it to you this morning. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident of this, another version says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul in prison, Paul suffering because of the gospel, says, I'm confident of this one thing. God initiated and what God has started, he will finish and put the finishing touches on. I wanna encourage us all this morning. What God starts, he always finishes. The fact that you are here this morning tells me that God has started something inside of you regarding the journey of God with you and Him in relationship. And what God has started, He will bring to completion. You know, sometimes I don't feel like God's working in me. Sometimes I don't see God working in me. And only as I look back in retrospect, I'm like, oh, wow, God, you were doing so much. And in the moment, I'm like, God, where are you? We sing the song, even when I don't see it, you're working even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. That's an encouragement, that while you're sleeping tonight, God's working. While you're walking through your day today, God's working. While you're getting it wrong, God's working. While you're getting it right, God's working. That encourages me, especially when I don't see the fruit that I'm wanting to see in my life all the time. He never stops working. But here's the question for us this morning. Are we working with God as he finishes what he started? See, the book of Philippians is a book about partnering in the gospel. Paul writes to this church and he says he thanks them for their partnership in the gospel. And what he's talking about is this, is that God initiates, and we're gonna see this in a moment, but it takes men and women who will say yes to God and co-labor and partner with God as God finishes what he started. And we have the choice every day, am I going to follow after God or am I going to hold back and not follow after God? All the while, God is still working, but there's a part that we have to play. How's it going with you, with the part that God has called you to play? The truth is that God is always working in us, but we're not always working with God. Partnership in the gospel. You know, sometimes we can give up ever given up, you know God's working in your life and there's an area that he's got his finger on or, or, or there's just something going on and you're trying and you're trying and you, you, it seems like you succeed and then you get defeated or it seems like you take steps forward and then, then you take steps back. Ever been in that place? I was reminded of it as I was preparing. We live on the third floor and groceries up and down three flights of stairs, it's a workout. So I've worked out, uh, it didn't take me long to work out that if I can 
carry as much as I can up in the first load, then there's less for the second load. So I kind of try to get as much as I can. And, and the other week I was, I was walking up, I had three packets, one hand, three packets in the other, and I was, I was balancing this big 40-pack um, of those little water bottles. And I'm, I'm doing it. I'm like, yeah, look at me. This is cool. And I'm walking up the stairs, walking up the stairs. And as I get to just over halfway, the water falls. But I had to step back and appreciate it because it was, it was incredible. Our stairs are in like a spiral. And this water hit every step on the way down. <laughs> every step on the way down. I just stopped and I was like, wow, that's impressive. I don't think I could do that again. Walked all the way down, picked up the water. I was like, oh. A week later, I'm doing the same thing. This time I've got three bags. This time I've got another three bags. And I'm going up, but it's not a big thing of water. It's those cans of water. And I'm walking up and I'm doing it and it's fine. It's not even as big a load. as I've carried bigger loads before. I'm like, I've got this. And I'm walking up and then I trip. I trip from time to time. And as I trip, the box of cans tears, and every can pops out over the balcony, landing, splashing everywhere, rolling down. And this time I wasn't that impressed because I'm like, this wasn't beautiful at all. This wasn't like, oh, look, and pick it up. This was a mess. And sometimes life is like that. We see victory in an area of our lives, and God's working in us, and we're working with God, and then all of a sudden, we just, it just doesn't go right anymore. We, we sometimes maybe hit our heads against a brick wall, and, and oh, God, I know you're working on me, but I'm tapping out. This is too hard. I can't keep going up and down these stairs. Just, just one step forward, two step back. Is there an area this morning, friends, where you've given up in your life, where you've said, this is my life and this is it. God, I know you're working, but this is up to you. I'm, I'm, I'm out. If there is that area, I'd like to say this morning that God wants you to know that he is working in you and he will never stop. And you can trust him that he will bring the victory, you can trust him, that he will lead you in the path of freedom. But it's time to get back on the horse again. It's time to start fighting that battle again. It's time to step into that role and say, God, in this area, I'm co-laboring with you. Is there any in your life, area in your life where you've given up? Let today be the day where you say, God, I'm not giving up anymore. I'm reminded of our leadership summit where, where Daryl and Danita said that all it takes is one small yes. And they shared some amazing stories of what God has done in and through them through one small yes. Would you say yes to God this morning? Whatever it may be, even if it's small, just would you open your heart and say, God, this morning I'm saying yes to working with you as you've put the finishing touches on what you've started on my life. We haven't even got into Acts. Wow, okay. Acts chapter 16, we're gonna read from verse nine. The story begins with Paul. He's in Troas, a town on the western coast of modern Turkey. And this is what happens. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pause quickly. And talk again about God completing what he started. Here God initiates and gives Paul a vision. He gives him a dream. God reveals his heart to Paul in a vision and Paul perceives God speaking and says yes to God and steps into God's will for his life. He was already in God's will for his life, but as he said yes, it's like he's taking another step in the right direction of the plan and purpose of God in his life. And as he took that step, he was impacting and, and, and the, the, by virtue of obeying God in one step, his, his obedience ensure that others were able to walk in the plan and purpose of God. Friends, when it comes to saying yes to God and following after Him and saying even if a small yes to God, the results will always be bigger than we've thought or dreamed or planned. 
It will always be bigger. When Paul took that step and said, okay, I'm going to Macedonia, did he think that he was going to change the lives of millions of people through hearing the gospel? I'm not sure. But we look at today at the fruit of that obedient step and we look at how the world has changed. I think the problem for many of us is that we perhaps don't have a vision from God. And Paul had a really cool supernatural vision. I haven't had one of those, but I'm talking about a God dream for your life. Right here, right now, do you have a God dream for your life? And I'm not saying you have all, it all worked out, like you know exactly, like tomorrow, you know exactly what's gonna be happening because God's revealed so much to you. If you are, that's awesome. But I'm saying, is there a sense of, I know what God's called me to. I know where my life is supposed to aim, the direction. And perhaps you can even articulate that this morning. If you can't, I would encourage you to say, God, give me a God dream for my life. Give me a God vision. Why do we need this? Well, Proverbs 29 verse 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. Another version says perish. Where there's no vision, people perish. Or another way, according to Alice in Wonderland. Do you remember that one? Alice says to the Cheshire cat, I don't know how you say it in America. I don't even know how to say it as a South African. Would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? That all depends a good deal on where you want to get to. I don't much care where. Then it doesn't matter which way you go. Profound. When it comes to our walk with God, do we know where we want to go? If we don't know that, then it doesn't matter which way we go. Without vision, people cast off restraints. Friends, when we have God's dream for our lives, what do we learn from this? We can walk in the impossible. I remember hearing this preacher back when I was growing up saying that if you have a dream for your life and it's possible, it's not a dream from God. And I used to love that because it's like, God is so infinite, so powerful, so glorious, so massive that why should we as believers empowered by the Holy Spirit dream small dreams that we can accomplish in our own strength? Some of you have just thought, wow, I need a new dream. I need to, I need to trust God for more. Why should I live in the realm of possibility when God has called me to walk in the impossible? If that's you, I just pray that it would be bigger than you dream, even more bigger, even your wildest dream, that, that dream in God would just come to life right now. When I arrived in America, my God vision for my life and for my family was love God, love people, change the world. Okay, it's very general, very general. Love God, love people, change the world. It's pretty much a combination of the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandments. And in fact, we could all live that out. Love God, love people, change the world. Love God and serve Him, love His people, and somehow hope that as you're doing that, you'll be able to have an impact in the world. You might say, well, that's not a really detailed vision like go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. Well, as I've thrown my life at that God vision for my life, God's raised up specific, so much so that right now, if I were to say, what is my vision and God dream for my life? Well, it's to take the gifts and talents God has given me to one, preach the gospel, and secondly, to help and lead other people to a place where they can encounter his presence. That's a little bit more specific. You might say, well, that's still like, shouldn't we all be doing that? Well, don't judge my dream. This is my dream. Get your own dream if you don't like it. But the other day I was driving downtown and I took the Ohio Street off-ramp and it's my favorite off-ramp because it's got those two flags, right? The giant American flag and the giant Chicago flag. You know what I'm talking about? Just me. 
Okay, maybe you guys haven't noticed it, but I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to God. I'm like, I'm in the bigness of America, in the massiveness of this dream of being in Chicago. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? And this still small voice inside says, fill this place with worship. General call, throw my life at it. A little bit more specific, throw my life at it. Oh, even a bit more specific. So what am I doing now? I'm working at, well, how can I fill this place with worship? Chicago, me on my own, fill this place with worship? That's impossible. Sounds like a God dream. Let me throw my life at that. Maybe take a moment now to write down what you can of the God vision for your life. What has God called you to? And I'm not talking about the master plan. Maybe it's vague. Maybe it's just a word. Write that down and say, God, this week, show me more. This week, God, I want to know the God vision you have for my life because I know that the God vision you gave Paul changed the world. And perhaps you can do the same with me. Take a moment now. Just write that down. Take out your phones if you need to. What is your dream? Are you going after it? Are you saying yes to God? Just quickly, Acts 16, verse 11 to 12 from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. I'd just like you to know that those words are not easy to pronounce and I practiced them. I'm quite impressed. Philippi, this amazing city, it has an amazing history as well. You guys remember the story about Julius Caesar, Brutus assassinating him? So what happens in 44 BC, Julius Caesar is assassinated. And what happens as a result of that assassination by Brutus and Cassius, don't worry about it if, you don't, if you're not interested in this. I thought it was quite cool. It starts off the civil war in Rome, the, the liberation or the liberator's war, it was known, and, and it raged for two years. And, and the final battles of that civil war that decided the outcome of Rome, there was Mark Antony and Octavian on the one side, and there was Brutus and Cassius on the other side. That final bat- battle happened in Philippi. So this city was a proud city. It was known as a city where the, the future of Rome was decided. And as a result, as that war ended, they sent a whole lot of uh, um, veteran soldiers to colonize that area. So you have a, a Greek town or a Greek city and the Romans come and they have this big battle there and they decide to colonize it. And they say, what, what that means is they say, this is now Roman territory, the Roman laws, citizens born here have, it's the same as if you're in Rome. They called it a miniature Rome. It was wealthy, it was prosperous, it was proud, it was filled with soldiers and they were, they were nationalistic and they'd, they'd fought battles to establish the Rome that they were living in. And on the surface, it looks like a city that doesn't really want the gospel. That city doesn't really want to hear that actually Jesus is king. That city doesn't want to hear that actually we don't need to hold on to our own rights and privileges, but we need to help others walk into their rights and privileges by laying our lives down. That type of city doesn't want to hear that gospel. But under the, under the surface of wealth and prosperity and privilege, there was cultural discord and cultural bigotry. There were those who would have lost land and lost their lifestyles, who would have been forced to follow Roman rules and customs which were different to them. There's pain, there's cultural divide. There is wealth and there's privilege, but there's also poverty and there's difficulty. And now we begin to see, wow, the city on the surface looks incredible. Wow, looks so strong, so prosperous. In actual fact, underneath the surface, desperate need for the gospel of Jesus to come. And you look at Philippi and you think maybe that was a hard city to enter into. But just because something looks hard doesn't mean it is not ready for the gospel. 
And we see Paul go in and he takes his team and they preach and we see a church being planted and we see Philippi, the church of Philippi being a pillar in the early church days and a church that had a lasting legacy, the first church in Europe. What do we learn from this? I think sometimes we limit God because we think something is hard or difficult in our, in our own understanding. We think there's areas in our city, Chicago, which are really difficult, so that's hard for God. Let's focus on other areas which are easy. Easy for us because it must be easy for God. And we forget that God is all powerful and we don't intentionally do this, but perhaps we've said without thinking, God, your gospel is power, but just not in this area. And perhaps we've given up on areas in our own city which have a history, which have a history of pain and neglect and, and abuse. And, and, and you look at Philippi and the same pain that those people were feeling is a similar pain that our city feels. And, and we think maybe we've given up on our city. Have we given up on the beautiful city of Chicago just because it's had years and years of pain? Do we still believe that the gospel is the answer? That Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life? And by preaching that message in Chicago that we can truly bring transformation? Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe it? The first thing we learn from this is there is no place that is close to the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, there is no place in the world where the seed of the gospel can't be planted. No place that the gospel is not powerful enough to transform. The second thing we learn is hard ground is still fertile when it comes to the gospel. It's not about the ground, but it is about the seed. And so long as there's somebody carrying that seed and planting that seed, there is hope. Will you be the one carrying the seed of the gospel out wherever you go this week? Would you be the one to share the love of God? Would you be the one to say, I'm gonna believe this gospel and I'm gonna share this gospel and I'm gonna live out this gospel? Let's read on Acts 16, verse 13 to 15. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. What that means is that she was probably a Jewish, a Gentile, but a proselyte, meaning that she had crossed over to, to seek after the God of, of Israel. So when it says she was a worshiper of God, she was not a worshiper at that stage of Jesus, but a worshiper of Yahweh. Then she and the members of her household were baptized after the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I want to land on something slightly different. So I want to rush through this. But what we learn from this account is this lady is the first gospel convert in Europe. If you were planting a church, if you were God and you were deciding who was going to be the first person to hear and respond to the gospel, who would that be? What type of person would it be? Maybe someone with massive influence. Maybe someone in the courts of Caesar who could issue laws and decrees. Maybe a high-powered person who, who when they spoke, people listened and, and, and was able to move and shake things. And God chooses Lydia. What do we know about Lydia? Well, she's an immigrant. She's from Thyatira, which is not Philippi. It's not Europe. She's from, uh, what is, uh, let me see here, it is t- south of Istanbul in Turkey. She's not a local. God chooses her. She is a single woman. There is no mention of her husband. She is possibly widowed, living in a male-dominated Roman society. Interesting that. And God says, I'm choosing Lydia. She is a successful businesswoman. She deals in purple cloth. Thyatira was known for its purple cloth and its trade in purple cloth. And purple was the color of royalty. The way they processed uh, the dyes and the way they, they, they made uh, purple dye was very costly and very, very time-consuming. And here she is, a successful businesswoman, 
dealing in purple cloth, and God says, you're the one I'm going to use to start a revolution in Philippi. Maybe you wouldn't choose Lydia, but I'm so glad that Jesus did. It's so countercultural what he did there. So countercultural. The first thing we learn from this is the gospel qualifies us. In the eyes of the culture of the day, she was disqualified. A single lady in a man's dominated world. I'm not saying that this is the world we live in, but that specifically world that she lived in was like that. In the culture of the day, she was disqualified, yet God chooses her and her home to be a pillar and start of the church in Philippi. The second thing, and this is linked to what we heard at Leadership Summit last week, a simple yes can change the world. You may be hearing about this gospel preaching and going out and you might be like, how am I gonna do that? I'm not like Paul. I'm not like all the other apostles and how am I gonna preach the gospel? I love Lydia's story because in this account, there's one Paul and there's one Lydia. There's a preacher preaching the gospel and there's a lady responding and saying, all I've got is my home, but you can have it. Let me open my home so that the gospel can be preached. And what happens? A church is planted. A church that grows strong, a church that has a legacy. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying, I wanna say yes to God, but you're not sure what you can do. Don't look down on the small yes that you will say yes to God today because like Lydia, your yes can change the world. I really believe that. I really do. I hope that somehow your yes makes the big difference that we saw this big yes, that small yes do. Maybe write down quickly and briefly, where can I say yes to God? Where can I say yes to God? I wonder if the band could come up. And in a moment, we're gonna sing that, that song again, No Other Name, because we're preaching about Jesus this morning and I want us to end singing about Jesus, that there is no other name. And I'm gonna be another five minutes with this next point. And this for me is truly powerful. And, and I, I'm really believing that as we speak about this next point, that, that God's gonna do something in our hearts. That God, by the power and presence of His Holy Spirit, is gonna come and do what only He can do and adjust things inside of us. Some of us have been afraid and God is about to give us boldness. Some of us have been holding back, being silenced by the enemy and being listening to His, his box and listening to His, his trying to shut us down. And today's the day where, that God says enough is enough. In actual fact, I was walking, praying for this meeting. I, I, there's a park that I go to. It's this massive circle and I like walking in circles. I, I can't get lost. And I'm walking and... I'm geographically challenged, but I'm walking and, and people walk their dogs there and, and I see this lady walking and she's got this majestic dog. It's just beautiful. It's like, it's all these different colors. It has the most beautiful pale eyes. Don't ever look into the eyes of a dog that has beautiful pale eyes. And like I'm walking, I'm just walking and praying and as this dog comes past me, it just lunges for me and it's just like, it starts barking and wanting to eat me. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Everything inside of me wanted to wee. I, I don't know how else to say it. I was so terrified in that moment. I think actually might have maybe small weird. I, I don't know. That wasn't supposed to embarrass myself, but now I've let you know that I almost wet myself. But I was so terrified. I was absolutely terrified. This dog was coming from me. And then as it was coming for me, I saw that it was attached to a leash and that leash was very short and the lady was very strong. And as I saw that, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Why? Because there's something stopping this dog from getting to me. If that leash wasn't there, I would have been running. But there was a leash. And as I was praying for this meeting, and as I was preparing, I felt God say that the, the enemy, like this dog, has been barking and, and attacking you and coming after you, and it's been terrifying. And I felt God say this morning that he was about to remind us that there's actually a leash on the enemy. 
that at the cross, Jesus disarmed the enemy, making a public spectacle of him, like that dog putting a leash around his leg, saying, this far and no further. Bark as much as you want, but you're not gonna touch my child or, or you're not gonna touch my son. You're not gonna touch my daughter because they are mine and I paid for them with the price of my life. That is the gospel message. And if you're afraid today because of what the enemy has been doing to you, I say in Jesus' name, this far and no further. There is a leash attached to his neck. But that said, let's not go to the dog. Let's not go to the enemy and think, oh, I'm safe because there's a leash. Let's humble ourselves and live according to the gospel and live according to the words of Jesus, knowing that He will sort the enemy out, that we don't have to sort him out, that God will do it for us. And we see this happening here. And and I wanna end with this, that once, we're gonna read it a little more. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. A beautiful story. We have a female slave oppressed by the devil and exploited by wicked men. And then we have a demonstration of the Spirit's power and she's immediately set free. Why? Because the power and presence of Jesus transforms lives. Paul preaching the gospel sees signs and wonders following the preaching of the word. And and I was asking myself as I was preparing, like, why why was Paul annoyed? As you read this on, on surface level, it's like, ankle level, you're like, wow, she's preaching the gospel with Paul. These are servants of the Most High God showing the way to be saved. And while I was studying this, one of the commentators said, in actual fact, the enemy was trying to use this girl to dilute the gospel. I was like, wow, go a little deeper into this. What does he mean by that? Paul's message, as we see in the book of Philippians, and we're going to see for the next seven, eight weeks, is that it is Jesus and Jesus alone being found in Christ, uh, putting our trust and faith in Christ, putting our, our hope in Him that He died on the cross for our sins, that He was raised to life again. It's all about Jesus. And now the enemy through this little girl oppresses her and uses her and, and, and shares a slightly compromised gospel message. She takes the focus off of Jesus and puts it on Paul. She says, come everybody, These are the guys. These are the men who are going to tell you the way to be saved. These are servants of God. Puffs them up. Oh, look at Paul, man of power for the hour. Look at this man, so incredible. And I could imagine Paul in that moment, realizing what the enemy was up to, trying to take the focus off of Jesus. He says, no. And after a few days, he's finally had enough. And he says, no more dilution of this gospel message. It is not about me. It is about Jesus. And friends, there are plenty of examples in the world today where people take the gospel and they make it all about themselves. Paul said, I'm not gonna compromise the gospel. I'm not gonna dilute it down. Another way that they say the enemy is trying to dilute the gospel, when you read it, the slave says, these are men showing you the way of salvation. When you read that in English, you have this article, the definite article, the, saying that the way is the only way. When you read it in English. Stick with me for a few more moments. But when you read it in the Greek, you realize that the, the definite article is missing. So in actual fact, what she's saying is these are servants of God who will show you a way of salvation. Small dilution. In John 14 verse six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you look at the Greek interlinear Bible of that, you see the definite article there every single time. But when you look at what the slave girl is saying, the definite article is missing. 
And Paul says, I'm not gonna settle for a compromised gospel. I'm not gonna dilute the gospel. I'm gonna preach Jesus and Jesus crucified. And you know what happens? The power of God comes, that girl is set free. Ever wondered, where's the power of God in my life? Friends, what we learn from this is if we wanna see the power and presence of God in our lives, then we have gotta start living with an undiluted view of the gospel. Paul preached the gospel and lived the undiluted gospel and we see power, signs, wonders, freedom and life and salvation. Sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, God, where's the power? And I, and I realise I'm, I'm next to that barking dog trying to eat me. And I'm like, oh, how you doing? Undiluted, uncompromised gospel message. And I'd like us as we sing the song, I wonder if we can stand. And as we stand, we're saying, God, I'm gonna live by the undiluted, uncompromised gospel message that you died on the cross to give to me and to give to this planet. And we're gonna sing a song in a moment. And I want us to respond and say, God, in my life, if there's any area where I've diluted your gospel, reveal it so that I can turn to you, God. God, would you come by your power? I really believe that right now in this moment, boldness is gonna come from heaven. I also believe that healing is gonna come from heaven. If you are broken anywhere in your heart or in your body and you're needing healing, just trust God for that right now. God, we release your healing, the same healing that is in heaven right now. We say, let it come on earth. Let it come in this place. But Jesus, we look to you this morning and we worship you this morning. And and just like Paul said yes to you, thank you that you started the work and you finished the work in his life. And we know that you will do the same in our lives. We love you, Jesus. And we worship you, God. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.